1: wetter weather comes at a cost. We received over 39,000 lightning strikes since Friday. A number of new fires spark up with worries about the return of hotter, drier conditions. Facing a wave of defections, BC Ferries considers an early boost in pay, hoping to entice workers to stay. And controversy at an overdose prevention site.
2: And not have to worry about finding anything on the ground
1: why the city is pulling the lease and neighbors seem relieved you're watching global bc this is global news hour at six good evening and thanks for joining us parts of bc are getting a much needed soaking today but it's not quite enough to combat the wildfire situation which is still highly volatile across much of the province Evacuation orders and alerts are a reality still for many southern B.C. residents. And Aaron MacArthur has the latest.
3: An aerial assault. Planes dropping retardant on a fast-moving fire on a ridge above Sparwood Monday morning. The fire has spread to 150 hectares, burning in extremely challenging terrain. Air crews have had to back off, and ground crews haven't been able to gain access.
4: Winds up. Right uh, are
5: gusting up to about 50 the to the north.
3: The fire situation across BC remains volatile. The St Mary's River fire continues to chew through forest near Cranbrook. That fire mapped at more than 40 square kilometers now. 51 homes remain on evacuation order another 500 on alert. The fire believed to have destroyed at least seven homes.
2: Just the message for residents really is if you are an evacuation alert, we do have an active fire. It remains active. Sometimes it's more visible than others, but it is really important that you continue to stay aware, stay prepared and make sure that you're following the information.
3: In Kamloops, the smoke is making it hard to see, harder to breathe. The Moore Lake fire burning roughly 10 kilometers south of the city, forcing the evacuation of dozens of homes.
6: Last night, I stayed at the house. I I guess I wasn't actually supposed to be in, but we managed to get through. And I could just see the glowing coming up on and over the hill, but it it hasn't come down yet.
3: So far this year, 14,000 square kilometres of forest in B.C. has burned. An area equivalent to roughly half of Vancouver Island. A majority of this season's fires sparked by lightning. Over the weekend, Environment Canada says 39,000 strikes were recorded in B.C. B.C. Wildfire Service monitoring for what are called holdover fires.
7: Holdover fires are a result of a lightning system and cell coming through. And then the fuels under the surface may be ignited, but the fire might not yet come to the surface as an open ground fire. So that's something we'll watch in the days to come.
3: Rain in the forecast through parts of B.C. comes as welcome relief, but only temporarily. Whatever rain that falls won't be enough to dampen
1: the risk. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, let's check those amounts now with meteorologist Christy Gordon. Uh, How much do we get and how long is this going to last?
2: Well, Chris, the rain is coming down so hard here across the South Coast that I had to come inside, but unfortunately that's the only area that saw that real substantial heavy rain. Here's a look. So we saw bands of rain with this frontal system impacting much of the province with cloud cover and some rainfall. Certainly the humidity and cooler temperatures should be helpful somewhat, but in terms of that heavy rain, it was mainly across the South Coast. Now, these are numbers as of 5 p.m. today. We still have more on the way, but you can See very little in areas like Prince George, Caribou region, and areas further west. As for the southeastern corner of the province, that's a big concern. We don't have any rain in the forecast for that region, but we do have significant rain expected for the Fort Nelson region. More on the details of uh, when we're expecting that when I come back. Chris, back to you.
1: All right, we'll check in a little later. Thanks very much, Christy. Now, fire crews in the Shuswap are being challenged by the Adams Lake wildfire. It's grown to roughly 2,000 hectares, or about 20 square kilometers, and the nearby community of Hustalen is still under an evacuation alert.
4: It's really steep, inoperable-type terrain, um, which makes it very difficult.
1: Ground personnel are unable to fight the fire because of that unsafe terrain, so crews are relying entirely on an aerial attack. Luckily, the winds are pushing the fire to the north right now and away from the dozens of properties in that area, and that has modified the fire response for now.
4: We have other fires in the area right now, and so we have um, personnel monitoring it. It's a modified response type fire, so we are, we're we're monitoring. Monitoring it, but we're only actioning it when we feel that property, life life limb, like our top priorities, are at risk.
1: A structure protection unit has been moved into the evacuation alert zone. And additional staff are also on standby just in case the community needs to be evacuated. Residents there are encouraged to pre-register with the province's evacuee registration and assistance website. here's an image that's almost hard to believe given the fire risk in our forests. Teens asleep while they camped in Lynn Canyon with the campfire still smoldering totally against the rules right now and they got a talking to. Forests are tinder dry and it doesn't take much to set off a major wildfire on the north shore. Firefighters say the smoke was spotted by hikers who called it in. The youth that made the fire were provided education on how their actions may have caused a significantly greater fire if the campfire was left unattended. And to be clear, the current forest fire hazard rating at this time is extreme. Firefighters say the crews had to dig deep and dump a surprising amount of water on that fire to put it out. BC Ferries has struggled in recent years to prevent its employees from jumping ship and it seems every week brings another cancellation due to staff shortages. Global's Travis Prasad reports on a new development between the company and its union and the passengers, the warning for passengers, if it doesn't go well. Cancelled. A dreaded word at the ferry terminal. And now the Union for Ferry
8: Workers says if their members don't get a meaningful raise, travelers could soon be caught in a wave of cancellations.
6: We're certainly hopeful that that doesn't happen.
8: Unionized BC Ferry staff are in the middle of a five-year contract. It includes a pair of 2% wage adjustments and the option for reopening wage talks next April. But BC Ferries has agreed to negotiate worker pay eight months early.
6: We know from our members in the, the bargaining survey that a lot of them have been sort of pinning their hopes on these, uh, these wage reopeners to address some disparity and uh, people are saying look if, if there isn't substantial change brought forward uh, you know they are going to have to consider whether those secondary jobs they have should be their primary jobs
8: a union bargaining survey found half of the more than 4,000 members have second jobs to make ends meet the union president says some are paid anywhere from 25 to 40 percent less than those in comparable marine sector jobs. Eric McNeely adds some crew have already jumped ship to Hello Ferries, the all new service between Vancouver and Nanaimo.
6: Because, in part, uh, Hello is providing a, a good compensation package and career advancement uh, supports. And that's something else you don't normally see in, in BC Ferries people going to startup companies.
8: Through the busy Canada Day long weekend, delays caused by an out-of-service vessel were compounded by late-night sailings being called off to prevent staff from burning out. The frequency of those interruptions have been increasing over the past few years, especially since COVID. Uh, and, you know, I think that it's it's uh, an indication of why um, BC Ferries may be looking at having these conversations. BC Ferries declined an interview saying it doesn't comment on negotiations in the media. From April to June, crew shortages led to 274 sailings being cancelled, 0.6% of all trips in that time.
0: They say it's less than 1% of our sailings that are cancelled, but if that's the sailing you're going on and it's cancelled, you're you're kind of out of luck.
8: In-person wage talks get underway next week on August 1st. Travis Prasad, Global News.
1: And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Uh, Keith, how unusual is it to renegotiate mid contract, mm-hmm. and could this set a precedent?
9: Yeah, very unusual, although we did see a number of wage reopeners back in the 70s and 80s when inflation was running much higher. Uh, So that was more of a regular occurrence. But I haven't heard of a wage re for quite some time. And it's very interesting. VC Ferry Workers Union, I think, is one of the few unions out there with that wage reopener specifically cited in the collective agreement. A point that the union president, Eric McNeely, made this morning.
6: Well, because we negotiated wage reopeners uh, within our collective agreement, the adjusting uh, by about six months um because its mutual agreement of the parties doesn't set uh, a precedent for other unions but i think it does set a good template that if you know if your wages are not uh, adequately being addressed through the term of the collective agreement it makes parties makes sense for both parties
9: to come to the table and say well let's let's negotiate and make this work for everyone So back to the point of whether or not this creates a precedent for other unions, keep in mind the BC Ferry Workers Union is not considered to be part of the public sector. This goes back to taking BC Ferries away from the government as a Crown Corporation and making it a quasi-private company. So they are not going to trigger any of the clauses that exist in other public sector unions which say that if one union suddenly gets more than we are getting on the broader mandate, then our wages have to increase as well to match that. So even if the Ferry Workers Union is able to extract a bigger wage increase here halfway through the contract, Contract, it will not trigger those clauses in all the other contracts in the public sector because, again, BC Ferries is not considered to be a, a classic, classically defined public sector company or union.
1: Gotcha. All right. Well, let's hope they come to a good deal that everyone likes. Mm-hmm. Thanks, yeah. Keith. The city of Vancouver is not renewing the lease for a controversial overdose prevention site in Yaletown, igniting a lot of emotion on both sides of the debate. Advocates say the decision will put people's lives at risk. Area residents, though, say they don't feel safe in their own neighborhood. Kamal Kuromali reports.
5: If this downtown overdose prevention site shuts down,
6: I think it's stupid. I think it's absolutely bullshit.
5: Dane Volman and Alexander Poli aren't sure where they'll go. It's one of the
6: places that does a lot more than most, a lot more than most.
5: Or what will happen to them. Yeah, I think it's going to cause a
6: great more. Uh deal drug use on on the streets.
5: The city of Vancouver will not be renewing the lease for the site that's been on the corner of Seymour and Helmkin streets since 2021.
4: This site has been too small. Um, There's not enough space inside for people to gather, to wait their turn, to rest for a moment afterwards. And so there's been... Uh, an overflow onto the sidewalk.
5: The lease ending March of 2024 with no planned replacement.
4: People are gonna die if it's not
0: there and there's nowhere else for them to go because people will just end up using in the alley alone. And um, the likelihood of people surviving that is really low. This
5: after two years of complaints from neighboring residents, garbage, tents and needles littering the surrounding area.
9: For example, right here on the playground, Uh, we see needles, discarded needles.
2: There was an incident of a dog. Um, Thankfully, she was really big, but she did find drugs at the park and ingested.
5: Councillor Peter Meisner says city staff tried to add resources to help with those negative impacts, but the site's operator refused to take responsibility. It's been relayed to me that it's been challenging in terms of having the operator take responsibility for the, the public realm. The operator, Rain City Housing, denied Global News' request for an interview, saying it is not prepared to receive media requests at this time. The site in Yaletown is named after Thomas Donaghy, a worker who was killed on duty at Rain City's former site at St. Paul's Hospital. Now concerns there will be more deaths. What's going to happen if it's not here, right? I
7: mean, it's not not, going to get worse, right?
1: without an immediate replacement for the site. Kamil Karamali, Global News. B.C.'s independent police watchdog is recommending possible charges against a Vancouver police officer involved in a collision with a pedestrian last year. The incident on the downtown east side in September of 2022 was caught on surveillance video. A man appears to be bent over in the middle of Hastings Street when a VPD cruiser hits him. The cruiser stopped... And the officer went to the man's aid, but the victim suffered serious injuries. The Independent Investigations Office was brought in and now says reasonable grounds exist to believe that one officer may have committed driving offenses. The IIO was forwarded or has forwarded its report to the B.C. Prosecution Service for consideration of charges. The province is creating new standards for police officers who respond to sexual assault cases. The goal is to make the process more sensitive to the needs of survivors and improve trust in the justice system. As Global's Kristen Robinson reports, advocates are encouraged by the news, but they have some concerns.
4: Indigenous and other racialized women and girls and the 2 LGBTQIA community among those most at risk of sexual violence. Only 6% of sexual assaults are reported to police in Canada, Many survivors distrust the criminal justice system and fear they will not be believed. BC hopes to change that with a victim-centered, trauma-informed, inclusive and culturally safe approach guiding all police officers in the province.
1: The new standards will make sexual assault investigations more effective and help survivors get the justice that they deserve.
4: Police will work with victim services to consider a survivor's unique needs. There will also be supervisory oversight during investigations and a review of closed cases to improve training. We think it's an advancement. In fact, the guiding principles are fairly progressive. Battered Women's Support Services is pleased the new standards reflect its feedback. What more needs to be done? The biggest issue always for us is, and this is the feedback that I also gave, Uh, during the consultation is, uh, to what extent will guidelines inform or influence the organizational cultures that already exist within municipal and RCMP? The Vancouver Police Department actively reviewing and updating its specific policy on sexual assault investigations.
3: The biggest aspect, you know, I think that we've talked about is accountability uh, and transparency in terms of survivors. So survivors understand exactly what the roles and the duties of the police are and what they can expect in the investigative process.
4: The province also announcing $6.6 million in annual funding for 56 service providers of 68 new sexual assault programs. The Stolo Nation says this type of funding enabled it to reach out to 152 individuals, nearly 70% of whom disclosed they'd been in relationship or sexual violence.
10: Sexual violence is an act of power and control. And we offered that power and control back to the ones that were harmed.
4: The new policing standards will take effect in 2024. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
1: Stabbed? twice in the chest while investigating cries for help. A young father rushed to hospital after his family says he was simply trying to do the right thing. That story next on the News Hour.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
11: Saturday morning now, 2 o'clock, we had our staff down here
1: printing the towels. But Giro, BC's most opportunistic entrepreneur, sits down with Squire... To reflect on some of his craziest stunts and share what he's up to now. That's later on the News Hour. Plus, balancing act, ambitious thieves caught on video in Nanaimo. What they're getting away with in that box coming up a little later. Right now, though, the family and friends of a Campbell River man who suffered near fatal stab wounds are asking the public for more information. As Krista Dow reports, they say the 21-year-old father was attacked simply for answering a call for help. And a warning first, some of the pictures in this story might be disturbing.
7: Colin dubay Wheat is lucky to be alive. The 21-year-old father had been recovering in hospital after being stabbed twice in the chest near his lungs and heart. I felt like throwing up. His cousin, Jen Five, says he was assaulted for simply trying to do the right thing. Five says on July 14th, at around 4.30 a.m., Dubay Wheat was walking a friend home when he heard cries for help near the Campbell River Art Gallery. When he walked over, he was attacked.
4: And someone called and said, help, help, Uh, someone's overdosing. Colin's for sure gonna show up. His
7: injuries so severe he had to be airlifted to Victoria where he underwent open-heart surgery. Dubay Wheat spent 10 days in hospital and was discharged Sunday. He's now recovering at home with his fiance
4: and two-year-old daughter. I think everybody's pretty shook up. I think it's going to take a while for us to wrap our heads around that this has happened.
7: The Campbell River Major Crime Unit did not provide any details about the other person or provide any suspect descriptions, only saying it's investigating the early morning stabbing.
4: Somebody needs to make sure that violent offenders are removed off the streets and that they're kept off the streets.
7: The mayor unavailable for an interview and the city declined to comment. Meanwhile, the Good Samaritan story touching so many in the community. In just four days, an online fundraiser has already brought in more than triple its goal for donations.
4: I mean, it took like one person to just threaten his life and they could have taken it. And then it's taken all these other people collectively to just pick him up.
7: The family overwhelmed by the support and is appealing to anyone who has information to call police. Krista Dow, Global News.
1: New information about an AMBER Alert as the search for two children continues, where investigators now believe Aurora and Joshua Bolton might have been taken. Plus. What we
10: really loved about him was his uh, way with people and just what a genuine,
1: nice guy he was the NIMO soccer community pays tribute to a player killed by a suspected drunk driver. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. An update now on the Amber Alert issued for two children in B.C. Investigators now say it was likely pre-planned. On July 19th, Surrey RCMP launched the Amber Alert for 8-year-old Aurora Bolton and 10-year-old Joshua Bolton after they were not returned to their father following a scheduled visit with their mother, Verity Bolton. It's believed Verity Bolton is also in the company of her father, Robert Bolton, and Verity's boyfriend, Abraxas Glazov. Investigators say evidence suggests the abduction was pre-planned and the group has likely moved off-grid. They are believed to be living in trailers somewhere in a rural area. Verity Bolden was last seen driving a dark blue Dodge 2500 truck towing a variety of trailers, license plate SJ2708.
4: Abraxas um,
7: has connections to the Deadman Valley area and Vidette Lake in the greater Kamloops geographic location of of BC. he is an outdoorsman and he enjoys fishing and he does have a history of living off the grid for periods of time.
1: Police say Robert Bolton has memory loss and may appear disoriented. They say the public will now play a critical role in locating the children. So if you see them or have any information, you're asked to call the dedicated tip line at 604-599-7676. Nanaimo's soccer community continues to mourn the death of a young man dedicated to the sport's growth on Vancouver Island. 24-year-old Reed Davidson was killed last week in a fiery crash caused by a suspected impaired driver. Kylie Stanton reports on Davidson's impact on the pitch and beyond.
0: When the final game of the season came down to a penalty kick, it was Reed Davidson who got the job done. Yes!
10: Lifts his head and, and slotted the penalty and won the Div 2 title for the Nanaimo uh, Div 2 men.
0: The moment, forever a highlight in a life cut short.
10: He was only 24 and, and uh, he was just a, a genuinely nice guy.
0: Just before 10 o'clock on the night of July 19th, Davidson was hit head by an erratic driver going the wrong direction on the Nanaimo Parkway. Emergency crews responded and transported Davidson to hospital where he died hours later. The suspect driver, a 59-year-old man, fled the scene on foot.
12: He was located by our police dog services and other members. He was also in medical distress. He was taken to the hospital where he still remains. We believe alcohol is a factor on this amongst other factors, of course but it's no charges have been laid at this point.
0: Teams are lined up uh, at center. The news Uh, rocking the Vancouver Island soccer community. Now remembering Davidson as a force both on and off the pitch. At this time,
11: we ask all of you here today to observe a moment
0: of silence. Davidson was the administrative lead for the Nanaimo United FC and captain of the Div 2 men's side, known for his kindness, selflessness, and his way with people. Unleashes, but has a chance. Torses On Sunday, the final Bahari. match day of the season, both games were dedicated to his memory.
10: There's no doubt that there is a lot of grief, but uh, for us as a community, it was definitely a, An important step in the grieving process.
0: Despite the senselessness of Davidson's death, family, friends, and teammates are trying to stay as positive as possible. The tragedy, not only a reminder of just how fragile life can be, but the impact one person can have, no matter how long they've got.
10: That's what's important right now.
0: Kylie Stanton, Global News.
1: Impaired driving is the third leading cause of deaths on our roads behind speeding and distracted driving. In 2017, 72 British Columbians died because of a stoned or drunk driver. That tragic total dropped over the next three years, but it shot back up as pandemic restrictions eased in 2021 when 66 people died due to impaired driving in B.C. Caught on video, two alleged Thieves who didn't do too much advanced planning, obviously. A Walmart employee captured the suspects on video. RCMP were told they simply walked out of the store with the 75 inch TV that's in that box, dropped it precariously onto the roof of their car, and with each one holding on, drove away. With video capturing the make and model of the car and the suspects' clothing, a 48 year old man and a 43 year old woman were arrested just a few hours later at a gas station and they are facing charges of theft under $5,000. Eliminating inefficient fossil fuel subsidies, the province, or sorry, the promise from Ottawa and why it'll be hard to track. Also, an integrated program in Vancouver's downtown east side for people living with chronic pain and opioid use disorder. Ottawa is changing the rules around future fossil fuel subsidies. The federal government is restricting conditions under which those subsidies will be permitted, but critics say the plan has some loopholes that could easily be exploited. Global's Mackenzie Gray has the details.
12: Shut the car now Their
1: protests,
10: Stephen Gilbaud, are used to, even when he's meeting a key government promise.
12: I'm absolutely thrilled today to be able to announce the publication of the framework and guidelines for eliminating inefficient fossil fuel subsidies in Canada.
10: The plan, first pledged at the G20 in 2009, has six different exemptions that would let federal subsidies continue, including for projects with Indigenous ownership and proposals with a credible plan to achieve net zero emissions, by 2030.
2: We are heavily concerned
0: about the criteria that have been um, that have been developed. There are some significant uh, loopholes as well.
10: Those loopholes? Current federal tax credits for oil and gas exploration won't be changed. And crown corporations like Export Development Canada aren't subject to these rules. From 2018 to 2020, EDC averaged $13 billion a year in support for oil and gas companies, a decision the environment minister defended.
12: They've reduced substantially those fossil fuel subsidies by billions of dollars, while increasing by several billions of dollars their support for clean technology.
10: And there was disappointment from the Liberals' political partners. Phasing out public fossil fuel financing is a part of the government's deal with the NDP. We can't take baby steps
0: when we are facing wildfires and extreme
10: flooding and heat domes. Despite not saying how much less oil and gas companies would get from the federal government... Some environmental groups are still applauding the move.
7: The impacts that we are experiencing across the country today are the result of the activities from fossil fuel companies. They should not be receiving the transfers of public dollars to fuel the activities causing
0: the climate crisis.
10: We reached out to a number of oil and gas organizations and they all declined our request for an interview, but they didn't seem too concerned about the new rules. One of the organizations called them meh. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa.
1: In Health Matters tonight, a leading BC research facility is launching a new program for people who are living with chronic pain and diagnosed with opioid use disorder. The new program at the BC Centre for Excellence in HIV-AIDS will provide clients with a team of doctors, physiotherapists, psychiatrists, and other specialists. Doctors say people who experience chronic or complex pain often manage their pain with opioids, And people who experience substance use disorder face a higher risk for injuries or other traumatic events that result in chronic pain.
9: We have identified a particular population, uh, people living with chronic complex pain, who also have a substance use uh, diagnosis underlying all of these. And oftentimes the problem is that uh, one of these issues Feeds on the other uh, in a sort of an exponential way, uh, making things a little bit more complicated for the individual, Uh, uh, not only uh, because they have uh, complex medical issues to deal with, but also because the system is not prepared to deal with them
1: effectively. Another team of specialists will monitor the program over the following 30 months with the potential of expanding it across the country if it is shown to be effective. Coming up, no ifs, ands, or buts. He's a character. But as a little boy. BC iconoclast Butts Giro and the many, many reasons he's a BC legend coming up. Plus a comical solution to the age old problem of receiving the wrong order. And why an Alberta ice cream shop is going viral. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When B.C. needs to connect, B.C. turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Tens of thousands of lightning strikes over the weekend. Bad rain, good. We need more of one and less of the other here, Christy.
2: I like how you really simplified that, Chris. That's exactly what we need right now. Unfortunately, weather's not all that simple uh, all the time. Because, for example, today, yes, rain good, but only if it happens in the areas that we need it and substantial amount of rain. And that didn't really happen today. Let's just start off with a photo that I wanted to show you because it is so dramatic. This sharing from uh, Desiree, this is Adams Lake across from her cabin looking towards the Adams Lake uh, Plateau fire, incredible shot. So yes, the rainfall as Chris is saying, yes, rain, good. The fire danger rating came down in a lot of areas today, not in the southeastern corner of the province. And we're not expecting that area to come down because we don't have any more rain in the forecast for that area. And what's interesting here is this is the opposite image that we saw just a week and a half ago. A week and a half ago, it was the southeastern corner of the province that was fine. And the rest of us were dealing with high to extreme values. Now, we have a special weather statement in place for the northeastern corner of the province, 70 millimeters, but it's just for that area. However, we will see a wave of rainfall in areas from Prince George through the northeastern corner. So that's substantial moisture and it's over the next two days. That's what we want. We don't want heavy rain all at once. We want it to be sort of spread out so it can really soak into the ground. For the south coast area though, it's just another 24 hours. We are going to see it be very spotty. And as I mentioned, that southeastern corner of the province, not expecting much. So we'll take whatever we can get. That's for sure. Rain, good, as Chris was saying. Uh, The Okanagan Valley, very little. From Kamloops area further south we're not expecting much a few showers expected for our region rain on and off tonight and tomorrow keep your eye on the sky we even have a risk of thunderstorms late tomorrow though that system begins to shift out of our region and we're back to dry weather we don't have a surge in heat expected for the south coast but beyond tomorrow we don't have much rain in the forecast as you can see i'll leave you tonight with uh rainbow good chris this was from langley this morning we had numerous people send us photos of this from white rock langley surrey it was spotted all over the place from early this morning so hopefully that is a good omen that's for sure all right chris, yeah, back to you
1: more of those for sure thanks very much christy and alberta ice cream shop is getting a ton of attention online for an ice cold tiktok video take a look
7: medium vanilla cone actually it's supposed to be chocolate
4: oh i'm sorry
1: It took one take, and the seven-second video by Swirl's employees, Kay Carter and Claire Smith, has since had about five million views. Swirl's owner says he can't believe it's such a hit. The Swirl's TikTok account usually features more business-related content, but Kay says the perfect opportunity to get a soft serve to the face was better.
0: I was ending my shift at 5.15, and Claire was about to start there, so I was like... Now's the time, because I can go home after I get hit with the ice cream.
4: I've had my friends texting me and they're like, I just saw you on my page. And my mom's friends are texting her and they're like, I just saw you on my page. So it's like, it's pretty bizarre.
13: I've read a lot of the comments that are on there. And a lot of them are saying, where's Lethbridge? I got to go. I got to go to Swirls. Hi, do you know what you
1: want? Players say Swirls customers are also starting to recognize them from the TikTok video. And as for whether the video results in an uptick in business, well, Steve says he's keeping his expectations low for now. But if you happen to be in Lethbridge, yeah, swing by. All right, Squire's here now with a look ahead to what he's got in sports. Squire?
13: Well, among the things we have, there is an upcoming international netball tournament, which will feature a lot of BC players.
0: We have done an amazing job to, to foster the sport here in, in, in netball in BC. Now,
13: you may not know a lot about this sport, but this is uh, quite big in other
1: Commonwealth countries. Very cool. Also coming up, he's a blues artist now, but that's just the latest in a long string of accomplishments for one of BC's most colorful characters. Squire will tell us more later. I was at the Bandits game last night, Squire suggesting I go in for a couple Come of on. minutes.
13: Come just, on, just for one
6: shift. Yeah. Give, the
1: crowd a
13: little, give the crowd a little bit of a thrill. Show them what you used to be. <laughs> it would
1: certainly be something to witness.
13: I'd like to see a dunk one. <laughs> here we go. You were very good when we used to play basketball here. Yeah. Mind you, everybody was a foot shorter than you, so that helped your cause, of that course. That is true. Yes. <laughs> Uh, For the second straight year, the B.C. Lions starting quarterback is hurt. Now, last year, that's what happened to Nathan Rourke. This year, it's Vernon Adams who went down early in that game against Saskatchewan on Saturday. Now, after the game, head coach Rick Campbell didn't have a definitive timeline for Vernon Adams' return. He said it could be a week. It could be weeks. The uh, Lions will name a starting quarterback for this Saturday's game in Edmonton at tomorrow's practice. And the way it sounds, it should be backup quarterback Dane Evans being the guy. And if it is Dane Evans, the Lions should have nothing to worry about. They brought him in because he is a veteran of the CFL who has been a starter before. He threw one touchdown against Saskatchewan and also did some Cirque du Soleil move here. But he'll be more comfortable against the Elks, you would think. Now, he did lead Cam Hamilton to a Grey Cup berth in 2019, ironically, during a year when their starting quarterback got hurt. Jeremiah Mazzoli, he came in, took over, Dane Evans did, and took them to the Grey Cup. They didn't win, but they got there. MLS scored a big win by getting Lionel Messi to turn down a spot on a Saudi Arabian club team and join Inter-Miami. But the Saudis don't want any other superstars to turn them down. So they have made a bid of $332 million to get Kylian Mbappe out of Paris Saint-Germain. However, right now, Mbappe apparently is not interested in leaving Europe. He would rather join Real Madrid than go to Saudi Arabia. Women's World Cup, and what a performance by the Brazilians today against Panama, particularly Ari Borges, who scored three, but this was brilliant. Doesn't matter if it's the Brazilian men or the Brazilian women, they played the game with flair. They won this by the score of four to nothing. Uh, Italy and Germany were also winners today. Of course, Canada will play Ireland on Wednesday. Now, netball is a sport that is very close to basketball. It's a cousin of basketball. The scoring's a bit different. There are no backboards. There's no dribbling. In some versions of netball, seven players are on the court at once, seven each, I should say. But it's popular in a lot of Commonwealth countries. And Canada has international teams, including one that's been working out locally for an international event that's coming up soon.
12: It's been a summer of training for Canada's U18 netball team. Eight of the ten players on the national roster hail from B.C. And next week they're off to the Commonwealth Youth Games in Trinidad and Tobago to compete against some of the best young netball players in the world.
0: We'll be going against countries that have been playing netball their whole lives. Australia, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, Botswana... Uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, just to name a few. There's quite a lot of countries going, and we're very excited to get the experience.
12: All of these girls have competed at the high school level in a variety of sports like basketball, volleyball, and ultimate Frisbee, but the Commonwealth Games, let's just say it's a major step up in competition, and they're more than aware of that. They're also adjusting to a new game plan, as the games will be played Fast Five style, compared to the traditional seven players on the court. Can they make
2: the most of this, Uganda?
7: fast five we can do one pointers two pointers and three pointers that's a big change because with regular um, seven netball we would just shoot try to shoot closest to the hoop because all of it's one point but now it's a big change we all have to practice our like two range because that's where we'll get majority of our points. Yeah, our style of is speed we're, we all come from like different sports so we're all pretty athletic to begin with so I think we're going to use that
6: what we traditionally play is it's seven on seven right so there's a lot more space there's a lot more people helping us bring the ball down the court when you're taking away the wings you're having to have our shooters bring up the ball and more movement and it's going to be a very fast-paced game it's six minute quarters we're used to playing 12 minute quarters right so it's a shorter game and of course um you know having that three-point shot is going to be huge right that can make or break a game
12: Heading to the Commonwealth Youth Games is so much more than chasing a medal. It's the trip of a lifetime for a group of girls who are embarking on their own personal journeys.
0: If anything, we want them to just grow in their love of sport. Just grow in love of being an athlete. Have a good time, experience the world through
2: the sport that they love, and have fun. There's Canada's Maggie McNeil from London, Ontario.
13: World Aquatic Championships. 100-meter butterfly final, Maggie McNeil, reigning Olympic champion, lane three, black cap. Looked like she might win this one, but she just got edged out. She began to fade in the final 20 meters, and Zhang Yufei of China won gold, but McNeil would take the silver medal, our first medal for Canada at this year's
1: Worlds. There you go. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Alright, you know the story is gonna be good when it's about a guy named Butts. That's coming up next. <laughs> How many guys you know named Butts? <laughs> Not many. But just before we get to Squire, uh, Jordan Armstrong is here now, the preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan?
3: Chris, while well, we've been watching the rain here on the south coast, people in southeastern B.C. have been watching new fires. This is the Horse Thief Creek Fire burning about 7 kilometers north of the Panorama Mountain Resort and 10 kilometers west of Invermere. It is still dry there and it is windy. The fire at last word was already 70 hectares. We're keeping an eye on that tonight. Plus, a council meeting tonight at Surrey City Hall, the first one since last week's policing decision from the province. We'll see what the mayor has to say, if anything. Chris.
1: Can't wait to see that. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. So the Global BC archives are full of amazing characters who helped really build this province. And Squire, you mine those shelves for gold sometimes. You've got to be like an archaeologist back there. Mm-hmm.
13: Sometimes you find things. Uh, I found something on a man named Richard Giraud, who would never answer to Richard. His mother, when he was born, called him Buttons and eventually it got shortened to Butts. So this is the story of Butch Giroux. When I was a little boy,
11: but eight five, my mama said I could
13: be the greatest man alive. Now, greatest would be a stretch for anybody, but Butch Jarreau is certainly one of the most interesting men alive. He's done just about everything. Blues artist is just the latest version of him.
11: A lot of people say you kind of keep reinventing yourself. Let's take music, for instance. I mean, I never played a music or instrument, never sang a song in my life until 12 years ago.
13: He's also been a professional football player, a professional wrestler, a souvenir right. salesman. Take no survivors, right here. And oh yeah, he was also a four-time world belly flop champion. <laughs> he wasn't just a champ, he helped promote it into one of the best loved events of Vancouver's summers of the 1970s. He even set himself on fire one year. <laughs> I badly burned, I got first degree, to second degree burns on my back and my neck.
11: I think I'll be all right. It's very hot right now, of uh, course. I don't know. Those are my crazy years, I think.
13: Making a big splash in Vancouver didn't end with the belly flop contest. Butch Jarreau and his company Dog's Ear T-shirts realized the marketing potential of Roger Nielsen's I Surrender towel in the 1982 Stanley Cup playoffs.
11: I think we sold close to 50,000 towels in uh, in a matter of uh, that three-week period of time. And it, it was a, it was an incredible... Promotion.
13: So, what kind of wisdom can a man who's had this diverse of a life impart? I think you got to
11: have fun. First of all, you can't take yourself too seriously. Uh, You're here to do a job, and you want to do it. I wanted to do it well, and uh, but at the same time, uh, I wanted people around me to to have fun too. At the same time, so it was, uh, it was great. Yeah. Now, I'm a man. A man of over 75. You better believe it, baby. Yeah,
13: you know, I'm still kicking
11: and I'm alive.
13: I forgot to mention he's also an author. That's him on fire at the World Belly Flop. And of course, he has his own albums as well.
1: There you go. Got to pick it up. Never uh, a dull like moment. like Butts Giroux and I cannot lie. Nice story. Uh, last word on weather before we go, Christy. <laughs>
2: Sure. So we are still expecting rain on and off tonight through a good part of our day tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if you heard a rumbling of thunder. So uh, head indoors when thunder roars. Uh, Late tomorrow we'll be back to sunshine and hopefully there's more rain for the areas in the interior, especially northeastern portions.
1: Let's hope so. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.